Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back, respected listeners. 91.3 FM Studios, what you've been tuned in to. I'm your host this evening, Muhammad Sheikh, bringing to you burning issues, standing in for uh, Ridwan Ahmed. Yes, and prior to the, uh, uh, or rather in the, towards the end of the last program with Muhammad Fasih, we gave our listeners a brief insight into what's cracking, what's cooking, what's stirring our pots in the Western Cape community, as well as the rest of South Africa. Now, now, um, this is perhaps maybe just a begin by reminding all of us that our lines are open for calling throughout the show. Remember, you can uh, dial in on 021-442-3530. Alternatively, send us an SMS 47913 or if WhatsApp is at your convenience, 072 uh, and also social media, VOCFM, at VOCFM on uh, Twitter. Keep those tweets rolling in um, and uh, tag us so long so that we can uh, acknowledge your comment. So yes, there has been a stirring of emotions, a state of slight paranoia uh, most recently when uh, a military base in Kayalicha made news headlines after armed robbers allegedly held up soldiers at gunpoint overpowering them and stealing military weapons. From a security perspective, it's completely alarming as military bases are generally supposed to be well secured or the most secure place. And um, perhaps we have with us online uh, uh, Piki Khrif, who is the National Secretary for the South African National Defense Union, also known as SANDU. Good evening, Piki, and welcome to the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, perhaps shed some light into this most recent incident, you know, a bit of wishy-wash, uh, you know, stir in media, etc., n- uh, not so much of clarity. Uh, could you perhaps shed some light into the recent uh, Kailicha break-in? Well, unfortunately, we know no more than what was stated in the media, okay. uh, except for the fact that uh, we do know that uh, Ninesai has obviously a main entrance, which is guarded at all times. And then inside the unit itself, there is also another entrance that leads to more sensitive areas that is also supposed to be guarded 24-7. Uh, for that purpose, as is normal at a military base, or especially an infantry base, a guard is posted uh, from 4 o'clock in the afternoon until 8 o'clock the next morning, a, a, a contingent of guards that is supposed to guard the base together with a guard commander and a field officer on duty. Um, and these guards are usually issued with uh, R4 rifles, and uh, for the purposes of standing guard, uh, those who are not on guard for a specific two hours because they rotate every two hours, uh, their weapons are then placed in the guard's uh, safe, weapon safe in the guard room. Okay, and um, this, uh, I mean, you know, given that it's a military base, a military uh, home, so to say, uh, and obviously uh, they have to protect these rifles and armory, etc. How does does a break-in even fit in, like, you know, um, just casually, randomly, just occurred all of a sudden? Well, we, uh, the way we understand it, it's not so much a break-in as it is a, a robbery okay. uh, in the sense that, you know, people arrived at the base apparently. Uh, they obviously had to have been armed as well. Right. And they uh, uh, basically uh, overpowered the guards and then uh, took their weapons and, and forced them to open up the guards' weapons safe. Um I think uh, what one has to remember is, uh, obviously, we don't know at this stage who the robbers are. 
Um, if, if one is going to pull off that kind of an operation on a military base, then uh, in our view, uh, you have to have very intimate knowledge of how those guard rotations work, what the setup is, and in fact, how vigilant the guard duties are being performed in that base. Um, and uh, we think that the only way you can have that information is if you yourself are probably involved in the base itself. So we do believe that there's a strong possibility that it's an inside job, firstly. Um, and secondly, that it, it might have been perpetrated by people who have military training themselves. So I don't think we, we're talking about everyday common robbers here. Uh, we're talking about highly trained people that uh, knew their target and knew when to strike. Um, of course, in combination with that, I also have to state very clearly, and I've said it before over the weekend, that a thing like this can only occur when guards are not absolutely 100% vigilant and when the morale is not high in the base and when there's not absolute discipline and command and control over your soldiers. Um, uh, this seems more to me like a question where trained people uh, knew what the weak spots were, and obviously one of the weak spots in that base is guard duty vigilance. Absolutely. Uh, perhaps given your role with the uh, with Sandu, are there any form of regulations perhaps when uh, you know military personnel are relieved off duty either through retirement, etc. Uh, you know, in terms of basic monitoring, what they're up to, and so forth. I mean, uh, you know, it's very it's very based on speculation that it could be a military person, ex-military person. Um, are there any form of monitoring processes? Uh, you know, once a person is relieved off his duty. No, there's, there's no such monitoring uh, processes. Um, uh, the fact is, however, that uh, this kind of a heist is highly unlikely without having some kind of training. Uh, but no, to answer the question, there is no monitoring of what you know soldiers do or discharge from duty. Um, in fact, there's, there's very little monitoring of what soldiers do when they're off duty as well. Okay. Uh, understandable reason, because you can't watch everybody 24-7. Surely. Uh, but the fact is, uh, we believe this entire thing could have been avoided, probably, um, had they been very vigilant guarding as they were supposed to be, and, and um, that the command and control systems in that unit, had that been uh, in place, uh, this kind of thing would, have been, uh, no, would not have occurred. Absolutely. You know, I, I might just want to add to the members of sure. the public, it's... They, the, they must understand, when soldiers stand, uh, stand guard duty at a base like that, they're not there just for pomp and parade or for, you know, for the beauty of it. Um, they are actually entitled to engage in a gunfire battle if someone should try and take that base. That is why they have at those posts. And uh, the fact is, is uh, you know, what it tells us, the fact that one, not one shot was fired tells us that they were not keeping guard. Mm. So basically, uh, the guards on duty should accept a certain reasonable amount of blame for uh, being uh, or having a lack of vigilance whilst on duty. Is that what you're saying? I, I am saying so, but obviously, you know, they, they are entitled to a fair investigation and, and, and to uncover all the facts. I'm simply saying this is what it would seem like, uh, you know, on face value. Um, but I also want to add immediately that if the guards were not vigilant enough and uh, uh, there were some circumstances that led them not to be as vigilant as they should be, uh, the systems and the way the systems are commanded and so on, then the officer commanding should also take responsibility. Let's not forget that it is his base. Um, the morale and discipline in a base is only as good as uh, the command and control in a base also. 
Um, we must also remember that in the uh, military law regulations, uh, uh, there are uh, about three or four criminal offences uh, classified in, um, in regards with standing guard. Um, one of those would typically be if you were sleeping on guard duty or you were not keeping proper vigilance, then that is a criminal offence trialable in a military court and you can get up to five years imprisonment for that. Okay, wonderful. Um, I think perhaps uh, Picky would like to go for a quick... Uh, oh, okay, uh, our technician says we should continue. Um, tell us a little bit about your role with, re- with regards to the... with Sandu. Um, how is it linked to, you know, the National Defence of Ministry and uh, what, what are your objectives, roles perhaps? Well, look, the, uh, the Sandu was uh, established in 1994 uh, uh, with the new democratic dispensation. And in 2000, it won the constitutional court uh, battle to be legalized in the Defence Force because the old Defence Act uh, prohibited uh, the uniformed members from joining the, forming and joining trade unions. Uh, the constitutional court then directed the Ministry of Defence to promulgate regulations uh, 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 to manage uh, trade unions, military trade unions, uh, which was duly done by 2002. And the objectives of uh, military trade unions, I think it's first just uh, because of the people's people's immediate reaction when they're not too informed about the topic is, oh, but are soldiers allowed to strike and so on. The answer to that is very simple. The regulations prohibit soldiers from striking or downing tools, so to speak, or going on slow goes. Uh, that is absolutely not something that Sandu would ever support. It's in any case unlawful for obvious reasons. Um, the objectives of Sandu is basically to see to it that soldiers are treated fairly by their management and by their command uh, in terms of their career management, in terms of their uh, service benefits, etc. And, of course, in cases such as this, um, you know, uh, where, where members are investigated or charged, certainly they have certain rights. And we see to it that, that those rights, if such a member would approach us for help, that those rights are respected and that a member is always subjected to a fair and transparent process in law. Absolutely. Um, wonderful, wonderful work indeed. Now, uh, according to other media reports, basically uh, there are alleged statements that such military rifles in whichever uh, you know capacity or whichever grading that was stolen would uh, filter out onto our streets among gang gangsters, uh, gangsterism uh, communities, etc. What do you make of this? Yes, it is rather disturbing. Uh, you remember that uh, as far as the the break-in at the naval base uh, last year is concerned where there were also weapons uh, or ammunition and so on stolen. Um, it ended up basically in the end uh, in, in the hands of, of uh, so-called gangsters uh, and gang war warlords. Um, it, it is rather worrying. Uh, there has also previously, we are aware of previous uh, uh, weapons thefts, the thefts from uh, Bloemfontein uh, military base, uh, which was also in the end... Uh, Recovered some of it recovered in Gauteng, uh, in the underworld. Um, so it does seem that there are uh, there's a certain element in the underworld that has started to uh, put its tentacles into the military. And definitely, um, if we have an incident like this one, for instance, it's going to really uh, send a very clear message to the rest of the underworld that perhaps military bases are soft targets. Um, it's, it's very worrying, you know, the, an R4 rifle is, is a combat uh, a weapon. Um, uh, it's very dangerous in the hands 
of an untrained person or in the hands of a criminal who is uh, just shooting wildly in mm. the streets. Absolutely. Now, uh, perhaps maybe focusing a little bit on to uh, the law aspect of things, given that you, uh, you know, represent the interests of uh, uh, military-based workers. Uh, last year, uh, uh, a person by the name of Duncan Govius was in uh, early 20s, early part of this year. He was handed an effective 43-year, year, 43-year jail sentence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a whole list, uh, a cascade of charges and offences onto these uh, criminals' names. Does that send out a positive? message that uh, you know the sentences for break for, for robbery rather is quite severe yes i i think it does um I, uh, the thing is just you know with the criminal justice system is it doesn't matter how severe uh, a criminal gets punished uh, that doesn't necessarily deter other criminals from committing the same offense for the simple reason that every criminal believes that he or she will not be caught um the fact is, I think it would send a much stronger message um, if the military would step up their vigilance during guard duties and declare openly that their bases are not soft targets. And um, criminals uh, should, uh, you know, what, should, what would have been a great deterrent is if these guards had been vigilant enough and had fended off uh, the, the, the robbery attempt uh, and successfully uh, with firepower. Uh, that would have sent a very strong message because then obviously the the uh, impression wouldn't have been left that military bases on our soft targets. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me, you know, with regards to ammunition as well as the caliber of rifles, the grading of rifles, etc., uh, should should we be paranoid that you know we have? a more a greater degree a greater caliber of rifles as well as uh, you know uh, more ammunition military grade ammunition out there uh, as communities what can we do perhaps you know to either uh, help in the investigation the ongoing investigation as well as you know uh, a token of positivity that you know things are under control is it such well i think the first thing that the community should do obviously is is you know be on the lookout for what kind of weapons are people brandishing um it's obviously it's nothing funny to see somebody carrying a nine millimeter pistol because those are licensed firearms that are easily available to the public but if someone is is is, you know walking around or shows you a rifle that that you obviously can see is from the military and that you don't uh, see every day, you should go and report that to the police immediately. Um, Also, I think people should try and familiarize themselves, you know, these days with uh, access to the Internet being fairly easy uh, and wide. People should familiarize themselves with what what does the ammunition look like that, uh, you know, matches a R4 rifle. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got a very unique look. It's very sharp-pointed projectile. And it's a certain length, uh, let's say, like, almost like a normal man's middle finger would be, more or less. Um, uh, you know, this is not the kind of ammunition that is used in anything else but uh, a rifle, assault rifle like that. So, also, if you see this kind of ammunition lying around in someone's house or in someone's car, start asking questions, you know, report it immediately. Um, I do think that, that, that if the public are on the lookout, uh, you know, an R4 rifle is not the easiest thing in the world to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere somebody is going to make a mistake and reveal that they have 
uh, rifle like this or that they have ammunition like this. And people should really familiarize themselves with what does an R4 look like, what does the ammunition look like. I would suggest that would probably be uh, the best way to try and guard against it. Absolutely. Uh, Paki Khriyev, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board with us this evening. Thank you so much for joining us and we, ho- we wish you a blissful week further. You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. On that note, respected listeners, yes, burning issue. We are talking about the recent onset of or the recent armed robbery of the military base in Kyalicha, where armory as well as, uh, you know, military grade rifles were stolen and the impact, the stir it's caused in our South African community. But furthermore, it's time to go and break for the Aisha Salah. We'll be back thereafter. Stay tuned. Welcome back, respected listeners. 91.3 FM Studio is what you've been tuned into for the last 53-odd minutes. I'm your host, Muhammad Sheikh, this evening bringing to you Burning Issue. And tonight we are speaking about the most recent incident where stolen army rifles, uh, you know, actually caused a stir in our Cape Townian community, Western Cape community for that matter. Following a similar incident in uh, during last year at uh, Simonstown, where the military base also uh, faced something similar. Uh, and uh, fortunate enough, in terms of our criminal justice system, uh, those particular individuals, three that is, uh, actually were prosecuted. One of them that we mentioned earlier on for 47 years in a jail. So yes, the law taking its course and you know bringing to prosecution, bringing to justice the perpetrators. However, in this particular case, uh, given all the media reports that have surfaced via media24.com as well as other news sources, news outlets, um, there isn't a clear directive as to uh, you know what the entire incident captured. Now, respected listeners. Remember, uh, you can call us throughout the show 021-442-3530. Alternatively, send us your SMSs 47913. What do you make of this incident? Uh, Do you feel safe in South Africa knowing that your greatest line of defense got broken into uh, and that to off guard? Alternatively, WhatsApp, if that's your convenience, 072 Two three eight zero seven one two, and furthermore, not forgetting social media. Send us your tweets on Twitter at VOCFM. Now, prior to the ad break, we spoke to the South African National Defence Union, uh, uh, the the Defence Union Secretary, that was Paki Khriev, who said that uh, you know his particular organisation wants strict action taken against the guards and the commander of the military base in which guns were robbed in the early hours of the past Friday. So, yes, uh, strong words coming out from there and, you know, uh, other role players in uh, our community, a larger community that is on the national level, are also echoing similar sentiments because this is clearly not something to be taken lightly or brushed away. However, furthermore, in this uh, feature, you know, we focus on the kind of risks that theft of military weapons pose onto ordinary civilians. What does that, what does that entail? Uh, now, we joined online by Helmut Heitman, who is a military and defense analyst. Uh, Helmut, welcome. 
thanks. It's a pleasure having you. Now, uh, given the recent incident that took place this past Friday of an armed robbery episode at our military strongest line of defence, supposedly, perhaps your introductory thoughts. What do you make of the incident? Look, it's, it's one of those things that should never happen, but unfortunately happens in, in pretty much every military over time. Mm-hmm. The, the extreme example is a case in the 60s where a German Air Force officer stole a Sidewinder air-to-air missile, which is about eight foot long, put it in the back of a Volkswagen station wagon, covered it with a ca- uh, carpet, being a loyal, you know, a law-abiding German in other respects, put a little red flag on the bit that hung out the back and drove out the gate with it. Wow. And nobody stopped him. So that's an extreme <laughs> example. Right. But, I mean, the U.S. Army has had weapons stolen from bases in Germany and in the United States. Mm. It happens. It shouldn't, but unfortunately it does. Okay. And uh, uh, the fact that you mentioned it does, does that open a room for a sense of paranoia to streak in? Should we be alerted and worried as ordinary Look, citizens? Anything is, is a worry, but I mean, you know, firearms are not that difficult to get hold of, even in countries that don't allow legal firearms, like Japan. Okay. Um, the difference is the military firearms, you will, depending on what they steal, they may get a rifle that has full automatic capability. Now, if you're going to rob a bank or you're going to shoot up a, a rival gang, uh, full automatic weapon at least have a, has a great intimidating effect. It may not be very practical, but it has a very intimidating effect. Mm-hmm. Um, some rifles, like uh, the R1, for instance, the older R1, not the R4, the, the R1 will shoot through a single-course brick wall, whereas the R4 won't. So there is more firepower in these weapons. And uh, probably not much danger to the average civilian, ordinary civilian, except, of course, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and one gangster shoots at another and the bullet goes past. And that is the real danger. Okay. Because military rifle ammunition, like hunting ammunition, mm-hmm. you will, will carry hundreds of meters, in fact, a couple of kilometers if you're with a full-bore rifle. Right. So the guy shoots at somebody and misses, the bullet just continues. And there you are minding your own business, smoking a cigarette on your stoop or whatever, and it and zaps you. Mm-hmm. That, that's where the danger comes in. It's a different league to the typical handgun that, that the average criminal would use. Okay. Um, d- do I get the feeling, or perhaps maybe I do that, you know, uh, the larger the weapon, the greater the force of intimidation. Well, uh, especially if such, uh, you know, rifles, ex- etc., are accessible to our streets, uh, that ends up in the land of gangsters and gangsterism. Yeah, very much so. And so you really, I mean... You know, if you call, you see you have something happening going wrong, you call the police, they arrive. Normally they would expect the bad guys at most to have a revolver or a pistol. Right. Now the bad guys have a rifle that will shoot their, their police van to a standstill. Mm. And if they haven't thought to putting on their flock uh, jackets, they are dead ducks. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. You know, and even if, even if you're wearing a flock jacket, you are going to get hurt if one of those things hits you. Surely. So it, it does raise the stakes a lot, and this is why I really... Weapons like that, sure, I wouldn't, I'm not going to argue against collectors owning them, but then collectors tend to keep them in safe, so they're not easily stolen. Mm. Um, but you really don't want weapons like that getting in the hands of, of criminals or, or reckless kids, for that matter. Could that very and it's ar- unfortunate that military weapons get stolen, and mm. if it does happen, it shouldn't. Uh, one of the problems is, what do you do if you're, you've got guys at your gate? Uh, do you arm them? Don't you arm them? If you arm them, how do you prevent something like this happening? I think one answer would be that we need to rethink how we handle our gate security. Mm. That the gate remains closed until you know who's at the other end, or you have double gates. Sure. So, you know, vehicle can come in through the outer gate, you close the outer gate, they can't get through the inner gate until they've been identified, the vehicle's been searched, things like that. Okay. We need to think a bit more, a bit harder about how we do that, that sort of thing. Surely. Uh, could the argument that, you know, the particular guards that were standing, uh, sorry, um, are you still with us? Helmut, are you still with us? 
Okay, it doesn't seem like we still have him online. Um, but nonetheless, I think uh, respected listeners, yes, uh, you know, um, the type of military-grade equipment flustering through or filtering through our streets obviously doesn't usually, uh, you know, or would kind of baffle the local South African police service members, etc. So I guess, uh, you know, it's something to be wary about. Unlike, uh, you know, our previous guest that uh, mentioned uh, from Sandu, Pekichriev, uh, that, you know, it's, it's, it's really befitting uh, one to actually know the different, or the, uh, at least the basics of, you know, common hand pistols or uh, uh, common rifles, etc. As, as perhaps maybe some of the, you know, the more, uh, uh, the more stringent ones, the one that bring about a greater effect, you know, go through walls, etc. Uh, like our guest highlighted so perhaps maybe some some information you know as part of your general knowledge tank in which uh, you know uh, you could be familiar you could familiar familiarize yourself sorry about that uh, with the different equipment out there um, Helmut welcome back <laughs> Helmut are you still with us Okay, I think uh, our signal, our connection is not really uh, strong right there. But nonetheless, yes, respected listeners. So this particular incident, stirring it up, Narim, as an ordinary citizen, my question for you out there, um, you know, how safe do you feel given that our military line of defense actually has been uh, penetrated? Um, we have a WhatsApp coming through from 2116. Assalamu alaikum and good evening to the guest. I feel the soldiers who were attacked should be questioned under hypnosis. They may know more than what they pretend to. Okay, smirky emoji there at the end. Shukran for that 2116. They may know more than what they pretend tend to um, and our previous guest uh, you know the Sandu secretary Pekichri have also highlighted uh, something to that effect that people can't just disarm uh, you know uh, soldiers guarding the military something could have been all linked to uh, an inside job uh, Helmut uh, sorry about that we welcome you again are you there with us yeah, I am. Well, given the vagaries of cell phones, I'm with you for now anyway. Okay, okay. now that's an absolute pleasure. Sorry, you were mentioning prior to the outbreak of the, uh, I mean, prior to we, uh, when we got cut off about the different, uh, you know, types of rifles available out there and accessibility. Would you like to continue on that? Look, I mean, the problem, the problem with military weapons is they're simply more powerful than civilian weapons normally have. And then the ability to fire full automatic weapons, full automatic in an extreme case, somebody might be able to see the grenade launch on some 40mm grenades, which is an entirely different ballgame again. Okay. So that is, is a problem, and it's, it's a problem wherever in the world it happens. Mm-hmm. And there have been cases in, in a couple of countries where, where bank robberies have been carried out using military weapons. If you think back to the cash and transit heist plague that we had a few years ago here, yes, they were using military weapons, albeit mainly AK-47s, which I think they got in from Zim. Okay. But you know, it gives them an edge over security guards, it gives them... A, which is why increasingly the police now have, have an assault rifle, have an R4 or a similar weapon in the police cars Okay. and, and wear their fluff jackets. I mean, I had a, a few years ago, we had a burglary up here in Pretoria mm-hmm. and the police arrived, two of them, a, a male constable and a lady, and she had an R4 assault rifle and both had fluff jackets. Wow. A bit of a surprise a response to a burglary. But it <laughs> right. makes sense. If you know bad guys are getting AK-47s or stealing rifles from the army, then you don't want your police being undergunned. Okay, not surely. respond. But it, it, it's a problem that the full bow of rifle calibers like that, the downs travel a lot further, they cause a lot more damage. The sort of injury from a military rifle bullet is a hell of a lot more serious than from a pistol bullet. 
Mm. You know, you're going to be in hospital for, unless you're really lucky, uh, you're going to be in hospital for a long time if you walk away from it at all. Wow. Okay, so, so that, that that's, that's where the problems come in. Sure, sure, um, so sure. Obviously, we try to keep those sort of rifles out of people's hands. Now, AK-47s come across the border. There's not much we can do about that. Right. But you would really like to think that, that the military be able to hold on to their weapons and not get them stolen. But I suppose, like any military, and as I said earlier, it happens to others too. Nobody's perfect. Surely. We do need to rethink, um, you know, guards at bases. Do they, are they armed? Do they have rifles with, with ammunition? If they do, how do we make sure this doesn't happen? Because you may have four sentries with rifles, but mm-hmm. if, if six or seven people get close to them and stick pistols in their, in their ears and say, will you hand over your rifle, what are you going to do? Sure. And you can't just shoot at somebody who you think is a threat, because it may turn out to be a civilian who's had a puncture and has come to ask for help. Mm-hmm. But that makes things difficult. You need to rethink your security approach. Right. Perhaps, for instance, have double gates. So a car can come in through an outer gate, and then he's in a sort of holding pen between two gates where the car then is searched occupants of Okay. They are what they want right. before they get any closer. And the guy doing that is covered by somebody with a rifle from inside. Mm. You know, it sounds paranoid, but then, then you can prevent that sort of thing happening. Sure, absolutely. Or you say, do the sentries actually need rifles? Mm. Can That's we not just arm them with pistols? Pistols are hardly worth stealing, because you can get them on the black market anyway, so why bother to go and raid an army base to steal them? <laughs> right. You know, and the pistol's good enough for the guy at the gate. You, maybe you have somebody with a rifle in the background. After we're not in a war scenario, so... You don't really need to stand sentry with a rifle. Not a, not a gate sentry, for instance. Mm. So there are ways of, of thinking about that. But I think we do need to guard against the the thought that, you know, we're, we're unique because the only army in the world that has its rifle stolen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> and Absolutely. it even happened to the old army in the, the old SADF before 94. Right. I remember when General Liebenberg was chief of the defense force, the sentry at his house had his rifle stolen. Wow. Now that was really embarrassing. Mm. I mean, sends uh, different shockwaves, uh, not just in South Africa, but globally. I mean, you know, disarming of soldiers at their own base. Uh, could, could we perhaps maybe use the argument that uh, they, were n- they were disarmed already? Perhaps maybe their weapons were kept in an armory of sorts or uh, a safe holding because they were not entirely on active duty. Uh, therefore, you know, they were easily uh, disarmed per se. Or, uh, well, it, it could well be. I mean, I, I know one base. I'm not going to... Name names. Sure. Maybe things have changed. I want to embarrass the base commander if you've got to sort it out. Mm. Well, one base there was a case a while ago where the, the sentries basically were, some of them were sleeping and some were sitting smoking, smoking beer. Wow. And bad guys just drove up to the gate and walked in, <laughs> <laughs> took away their rifles, and stabbed a couple of them. Okay. Um, you know, so if the sentries are not on the ball, well, then it's a self inflicted injury. And that mm. really suggests in that particular unit that was clearly a command failure because. How can you, you know, sentries behaving like that without the command structure being aware of it? So clearly they hadn't been inspecting, they hadn't been checking. Absolutely. They got what they deserved, which of course doesn't help somebody who gets on the wrong side of maybe one of the rifles that were stolen in that incident. Right. Now, I don't know what happened here in this incident at Mainstein. It may be the guys were just outnumbered, it may be they were overwhelmed, it may be, as you suggested, that mm. they had rifles, but the rifles were in the guard room, and they went out to the gate to meet somebody at the gate see what they want, and, right. and then found themselves staring down, say, a pistol battle. Then what do you do? Absolutely. You know, so it's, the trouble is, you, know, you don't want to be paranoid all the time. Sure. It wasn't be a, a baby in arms. 
No, absolutely. Um, there's something that, you know, I usually question, you know, you mentioned earlier on with regards to, uh, you know, the, the proposition of upgrading, uh, you know, um, uh, weaponry for the local SAPS, etc. Uh, in terms of your analysts, uh, uh, in, uh, as being an analyst, um, do you think, uh, you know, there's sufficient training in order to handle military-grade uh, weaponry and armory uh, throughout our local SAPS forces, etc.? From what I from what I read and hear, no, apparently quite a high proportion of the policemen don't don't even have a license to use firearms. Wow. No, I think this I think this is improving. I, that's, I mean, recently a couple of times I've had to go to a police station and get something certified or whatever. Sure. And seen some of the new student constables that have come through, and they're quite impressive. And, and I mean, this is now better now going back a couple of years. Mm. Um, there's a bunch of them at the one police station up here in Pretoria, and got chatting, and they point out their their training is again nine months before they're allowed out on the streets alone which is a good start. Mm-hmm. And when I asked them whether instructors were tough, they, they, got, they were pretty awful and said, oh, yes. At that point, one of the instructors showed up a warrant office and sort of gazed at the civilian who was testing his students. <laughs> and he sort of filled me with awe, too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think, I think you'll find that there's nothing much wrong with the young, young policemen coming onto the streets. It, there are issues. Uh, some of the older ones, probably, mainly, haven't been properly trained or fallen behind in their firearms training. Mm. Um, and of course, there are a lot of exits on every police force in the world. That's also not new. Sure. And I think one of the one of the key problems is if you're a policeman, you join as a youngster, you'd become a cop. Now, sure, some people join the police because you know you get a uniform, you can push people around. But most policemen I've known over the years, and I have worked with them often on it, early stages of my career. Uh, most of them have a little bit of, you know, Prince Valiant or whatever syndrome. They they want to be uh, the knight in shining armor who helps people. Yes. Makes them feel good. Okay. And that's what they'd like to do. And where we let them down sometimes is, is at the leadership level. Mm. Now, sometimes, as can happen too easily in the police, senior cops become too cynical. Right. Some are crooked and nothing. I mean, just watch American police movies and you'll pick up, okay, even if you allow <laughs> 70% exaggeration, you'll right. pick up their problems there too. Mm-hmm. But then the other problem we have is that we keep appointing civilians as commissioners. Yes. Which is not in itself wrong, but they're then put on the uniform with a badge they haven't earned. Okay. Uh, I've said this several times to people saying the ordinary cop on the street, the guy in the, on the beat, yes. will respect you. You know, you and I could be appointed commissioner tomorrow as long as we wear a business suit and say we're here to help you administer the show. Right. Absolutely. The minute you put on that uniform without having been a cop, yes. without having to break up a fight uh-huh. between people and get vomited on and then find that police doesn't pay for the dry cleaning, you have to pay for it yourself. <laughs> right. Or going to a family dispute and you arrest the wife beating husband and she hits you over the head with a frying pan. You know, being mm. desk sergeant Christmas Eve and your kids wonder why you're not home. Right. And um, if you haven't done those things, mm. don't put on the uniform because they're not going to respect you. Surely. And then, it, then it starts from there downwards, you know, it cascades down and that becomes a problem. I mm, know, surely. I, I concur with you totally. Uh, I'd just like you to stay with us online. We need to go and pay the bills. We resume shortly thereafter. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back, respected listeners. 91.3 FM, keep it buckled. Yes, we are talking about, uh, you know, the recent incident that happened at the Kyalicha uh, military base where an armed robbery occurred. Rifles were stolen, uh, stolen as well as soldiers were disarmed. And uh, we have with us uh, Helmut Heitman, who is a military and defense analyst. Uh, he, and he, uh, prior to the outbreak, he gave us some insight with regards to, you know, some of the, the, the earning, rather, of... Uh, a police uniform, a police badge, uh, sacrifices, challenges that undergo, uh, and obviously one definitely needs to be deserving. Welcome back, Helmut. Hello. 
Um, I believe your your spectrum or your forte doesn't just lie in terms of uh, you know uh, with regards to um, the military and defence analyst. You've got uh, you've also been involved with the South African Navy, the Navy, the Army, Air Force, etc. Um, such incidents of theft, military theft, uh, perhaps inside jobs, also occurring in in those other strata of our defence. Look, yes, it's happened. I mean, we had here at Air Force Base Water Curse in the VIP movement section. Somebody stole a bunch of rifles. That was an inside job. Okay. That was eminently preventable and should have been prevented. But again, to put it in perspective now, my, my mother was German. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born just after they were during the First World War. And her brother, one of her brothers, was in the army just before the Second World War. And he was trained on an armored car. And he took the armored car from his base at Potsdam and drove oh, 30, 40 kilometers to the outer Berlin suburb to show his parents his new armored car. It took his father, father a lot of influence to get him out of, out of that bit of trouble. So, you know, it's, it's not new. It's, it's, okay, there was no criminal intent there. It was just sure. a young man's stupidity. <laughs> right. But it, it's not new and it's happened. And there was a case in South Africa, too, I think, in the 60s, where young soldiers stole a tank and wow. drove somewhere to, to impress people. Mm. You know, that does happen. But those, those of course, they're just the fun things. They, they're not really serious. And if nothing else, they show initiative. But firearms being stolen, yes, it's happened up here, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, recently also you had the, the Navy Arms Depot in, in Cape Town. You had some weapons stolen. That was an inside job, too. Now, that's a whole different ball game. It's yes. one thing if your gate guards get, get swamped by bad guys or surprised or whatever and then have their firearms stolen from them. It, it, again, it shouldn't happen, but it, it, it's not, not totally poss- uh, possible to prevent it. Mm-hmm. But inside jobs, weapons being stolen out of armories. Yes. That's an entirely different ballgame. That is preventable and should be preventable. Yes. But again, if you think back again, a while ago, I think it was also in Cape Town, a police colonel in charge of all the, the firearms that have been handed in by people who want new licenses. Yes. He was happily selling them to gangsters. Mm, I recall that. Mm-hmm. You know, now somebody like that could throw in jail and fuse a key in the lock and throw him, away, throw him a cheeseburger once a week or something and don't let him walk again. Sure. But so it happens, and yes, it's happened in the other services too. And the Air Force has had the problem, the Navy's had the problem. Um... It's inevitable. It, and every now and then you also get soldiers who are stupid enough to take a hand grenade or a rifle grenade or something like that, or even an HE shell from, say, an Rifle 90 home. Mm-hmm. Um, and every now and then you read about it, somebody who's got one of these damn things, and they play with it and it explodes and some of these kids get hurt. Absolutely. You know, people are not always rational about that either. Mm. And again, those things shouldn't be able to walk out the door. I um, totally concur. They're supposed to be controlled items. And I think overall the control is reasonably good. Yes. But nobody's perfect, and the is no more perfect than anybody else. Uh, surely. Um, w- w- do you perhaps maybe have any form of analysis in terms of internal measures to prevent inside jobs with regards to particularly our military base or bases across South Africa? It's not something I've looked at in detail, but I do know that the, the military police have looked at it quite hard. Mm-hmm and are looking at that. And, of course, every incident is investigated. There is, there is a, a proper board of inquiry. The military police are involved. They will prosecute if there's somebody to prosecute and if they can catch them. And then, theoretically, at least, uh, measures are put in place so it can't happen again. But then again, you, you read a, I read a while ago, and I, I don't know whether it's true, although I was, I was sure, but from a good source it was, mm-hmm. that some of our arms and munitions depots were no longer properly guarded because they'd been, the guarding had been contracted out to private companies and the money had run out, so they hadn't been paid. Sure. So there were only a few military personnel at these bases, nowhere nearly enough to actually cover the whole thing. Okay. You know, so it's that, that sort of thing also 
things do slip through the cracks. Yes, yes. And the admin has never been particularly good. When I say never, I mean also from before 94. Right. One thing is Defence Force has never been good at administering itself. <laughs> it's been good right. at all sorts of things. It's been good at combat, and it's still good in combat, as we've, we've seen the actions in the DRC and Darfur. Yes. And in Burundi. But in terms of peacetime administration, I'm afraid we've all... <laughs> the whole time I've known this Defence Force since 1972 today, right. admin has been a sloppy disaster. Nothing has changed. Uh, such a sigh. But uh, hopefully the administration, you know, division can up its game. Uh, last year, the uh, the incident that happened at uh, Simonstown, uh, according to some reports, it emerged in court that the burglars bypassed the naval base security with a bolt cutter. What do you make of that? Well, clearly there, as I recall, it was, it was just a, basically a locked gate and there was nobody monitoring the gate. Mm. You know, there's an old, old military axiom now for, for the battlefield, of course. Yes. An obstacle like a minefield, say, or a blown bridge or whatever, an obstacle is only an obstacle if it's covered by fire. Sure. No observation and fire, an observer and call him out something. Now, a locked gate is only useful if either somebody's monitoring the locked gate directly or there's an alarm on it that'll call somebody who's, somebody's playing with that gate. Otherwise, the lock gate, uh, hell, you and I can get a pair of bolts cutters from a hardware shop and cut, cut our way in. Mm. Yeah, it's not going to stop anybody. Um, okay. And that's been a problem if they don't have enough sentries out, or if they've outsourced it to a civilian company that doesn't take it seriously, then you're going to have that sort of problem. Mm, absolutely. And you will also, again, this is not new and it's not unique to us, you do have sentries who simply go AWOL without leave. They bug off. Okay. I remember many years ago, also, a couple of rifles were stolen. This is still the old SADF. Yeah, at the Tempe base in Bloemfontein, about one para, one parachute battalion, which is an elite unit. Mm-hmm. Because the two gate sentries had left their rifles in the guardhouse on the outside of the gate and gone off to visit their girlfriends. Oh my, wow. And some artillery person walked past and collected the rifles. Mm. Yeah, okay, they were in no end of trouble after that. They wound <laughs> up in detention barracks for a few months. No, surely. But it didn't change the fact that the rifles were gone. Wow. Now that, of course, is an unforgivable negligence. Uh, definitely. Uh, totally unforgivable, totally something that, you know, shouldn't be left, uh, uh, you know, just for chance and uh, strict measures, uh, strict uh, justice action ought to be taken. But nonetheless, um, Helmut Heitman, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us on a Burning Issue. Thank you so much for being part of us. My pleasure. Anytime and say hello to Cape Town for me. I rather miss the place. <laughs> Cape Town is beautiful. For 50 years. Now six years I think I'm Pretoria. Wow. Now I still have the Cape Townian blood in you and I hope the, the, the warm genes is flourishing through that part of the world. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, well, pleasure. Okay. Have a good one. Bye-bye. FM Stereo Burning Issue with Mohammed Sheikh this evening, 23 minutes past the hour of 8. Yes, respected listeners, we are talking about the recent incident in Kyalicha military base where an armed robbery occurred. Soldiers were disarmed, supposedly overpowered, and uh, you know, the rifles were stolen. R4 rifles, according to some media reports, and uh, with further intensity as well, uh, you know, the, the, the analysis going on to state that such weaponry would be available uh, to our local communities in Cape Town, particularly, uh, you know, high-rising areas that is flooded with gangsterism. Now, in order to uh, know how to be safe and or rather the effect it would have on ordinary civilians, uh, we are joined online by Alder de Klerk, who is the Senior Policing and Security Manager at Africa Analysis. Alder, welcome. Good evening, Mohammed. Good evening to your listeners. And thank you so much for be joining us on the show. 
pleasure. Okay, so with regards to this latest incident, uh, perhaps maybe let us start by, you know, um, analyzing uh, your particular role at Africa Analysis in terms of, uh, you know, this particular incident. What have you come out with thus far? Well, one of the things we try to understand is how this could have happened, and then we look at what is needed to ensure that it doesn't happen Mm. in the future. And then, of course, the impact on this in our communities, because there's a couple of key questions that we have to answer. Um, What any plans or intentions do people have for stealing such high-caliber weapons? Why would they go after those weapons? Um, And then once we expose the risk to our military facilities, what is the continued strategic threat? Because now people know that this is possible. Um, How do we counter that threat going forward? And what does it mean for us as a country um, and for our defense and law enforcement Mm -hmm. agencies? And then furthermore, why would somebody commit this kind of crime? I mean, are, are they trying to hide something bigger? And what is this symptomatic of? Sure. So we would try to sort of unpack and un- and sta- understand those kind of questions. Okay, indeed, interesting. And uh, thus far, have you perhaps maybe built uh, some short insight into uh, you know some of the reasons that uh, uh, military-grade weaponry could be out on the streets? Well, there's uh, an, a number of, of of sort of possible possible scenarios that we've come up with. One, we know that there's been spates of ATM um, robberies, and we know that the police have thwarted that, and that that has dropped dramatically in number. It's often that these robberies and hijacking of commodity trucks in transit um, that the um, National Protection Unit and the the Tactical Intervention Unit have done really well, Tactical Response Unit, sorry, have done really well in thwarting and apprehending these criminals often armed with very high caliber automatic rifles so there's a shortage in the market of this um, police have also acted against their own who've been selling weapons to criminal enterprises and that has also um, started to allow us to see a shortage of automatic um, rifles so the way they've implemented the firearms act stricter border controls and courting criminal syndicates had seen a short supply in high-caliber automatic rifles. These things ain't usually used in gang warfare. Normally what is used there are handguns, and the action takes over as targeted at somebody over a much shorter distance. Um, So there is no need to spray an entire, you know, possible line Mm -hmm. of of people wanting to attack you, for example, or to threaten police with a bigger caliber rifle. So the impact in our gang areas at this time, and given what has happened formally, we would suspect would be kind of negligible um, or, or, or not that noticeable because it's not the kind of weapon that gangs are normally running around with um, threatening each other. Sure. What security or policing measure would you adopt in place in terms of, uh, or rather advice to our South African police services as well as, uh, you know, other community neighborhood watches in terms of preparation uh, or alertness should any of the, the visibility of such weaponry be made out to a public? 
Well, one of the things, of, of, of course, given the caliber um, weapon and the, the, the caliber, uh, caliber ammunition, um, often these things are armor-piercing. Armor they can go through most um, standard bulletproof vests unless they they the very high end um, and are particularly calibrated <coughs> to withstand, um, you know, the sharp nose automatic fire. Um, so one of the things we would advise is that Ordinary citizens and neighbors watch in particular do not engage people with high-caliber weapons. Stay out of their way, take effective cover, um, and do not engage. The police have very highly trained, very well-armed tackle response units and national intervention units that are trained to, to deal with this kind of threat. Okay. The difficulty that we have is that we have to look at the vulnerability that has now twice come up at our military bases. Um, and look at what it means for the state and perceptions of the state that cannot protect its own armaments. Absolutely. Because the real cost of that, I think we underestimate what the cost of that is in terms of confidence in our defense force um, and confidence in our police and our law enforcement to protect their, their own arms mm. you know, and their own weapons. And if there's a loss of confidence, then what we need from the state and our entities is to engage the public be forthright in the assessment um, of what is happening, deal and eradicate corruption in any complicity that may have led to this, because a lot of this, you need inside information to plan and execute these seamless, um, um, you know, seemingly seamless um, robberies, and then to have a real conversation with ordinary citizens about mm. the possible threat and how to deal with the threat and how and what they're going to do to Absolutely. actually eliminate the threat going forward. Okay. Um, in terms of analysis, once more, do you think, you know, on behalf of the Ministry of Defense in South Africa, uh, do we need to perhaps maybe increase investment in, uh, you know, ensuring greater defense mechanisms as part of our defense structure or downgrading on the type of or the, the caliber of uh, military grade weaponry available out there? Where do we draw the line? Well, it's probably a combination of strategies. Um, as, as I said earlier, we need to ensure that, you know, corruption and complicity is dealt with. Let's mm -hmm. accept that that's a given. Um, we need to shore up um, our, our defense spending, especially since we don't have compulsory conscription and our defense spending has not really kept pace with a demand of a modern defense force we really do need to revamp that. So the Defense Secretariat, I believe, together with the Minister of Defense, will start looking at putting in place effective deterrent measures and greater security at all our bases. Sure. Most recently this year, Durban hosted a great uh, military show of, you know, um, or exhibit rather, uh, of various entertaining acts and demonstrations. Um, is this something, is this truly a celebration of sorts, do you think, given this recent incident? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, our, you know, we, we, we have in our defense um, the capability to defend um, our natural resources and our assets. Um, the military, since we don't have a Coast Guard, and I believe we actually do need one, so we could potentially convert conventional Defence Force roles into civilian protection roles, like Coast Guard, for example, because our fish, do our fish docks 
our parliament, we know what's happening um, with the, the pillaging of our of our of, of our natural resources, uh, protection of rhinos and other um, game. These have, and of our borders have all fallen to the military to do, and the navy and our air force. Right. So, either we seen to convert, con, sorry, convert those conventional military functions at the moment into civilian functions, like a proper border agency. Um, we strengthen the role of of our parks board and our nature conservation, and we we ensure that they are able to protect, and we institute a coast guard. So that will put less pressure and less need for having the kind of military capability that we have at the moment, and we and we retain an essential military component for the defense of the region, if not our country. Our conventional threats are likely... We're not going to be fighting a border war. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be fighting a war at sea um, right. anytime soon. So okay. a lot of the capability in peacetime is in service of you and I as ordinary citizens in protection of our essential assets, mm. natural or otherwise. Absolutely, I I agree. Um, And uh, lastly, you know, in terms of uh, not being able to cope or to handle uh, such, uh, you know, uh, uh, perpetrators with such military-grade weaponry, Mm -hmm. as the ordinary citizen, what does one do to get involved, to make a difference, to try and, you know, be certain that uh, these perpetrators are brought to justice? Well... That's a tough question because what it involves is for us to share what we know with the relevant um, law enforcement agencies and state security agencies. And that for a long time means meant that you and I actually have to report people. Okay. People who may be our brothers and sisters, our aunts, our uncles, family members. And that is very hard for a community that we might have grown up where pimpies or impimpies or people who, who, who snitch mm-hmm. um, are frowned upon. Okay. That whole act of giving up your own. But we have to start divulging information. These things are very hard for our law enforcement agencies to do if we conspire to withhold information from them. Um, because these things are firstly hard without tip-offs and without proper intelligence to forecast where mm-hmm. they're going to be and who's going to do it, and once they've happened, that we are dependent on information from communities right. who should be afforded, who should be able to do that anonymously. Mm-hmm. So when people call in, they, sh- they shouldn't have to, you know, divulge who they are, their, their numbers shouldn't be recorded, um, and of course police should verify information before they act on it. Sure. So that they, so that they don't, are not put in harm's way by information supplied to them. But we should be able to afford people the necessary protections when they do come forward. Mm -hmm. Um, They should have complete confidence that their identities and the information they give will not be revealed to somebody who could do them harm after the fact. Absolutely. Alder de Klerk, it's wonderful having you on the burning issue. Have a safe, wonderful evening further. Thank you. Uh, Bye. Bye.
that was Aldo de Klerk giving us some uh, analysis on, you know, the perceptions, the, the worries we ought to have as ordinary citizens, as well as certain measures, uh, you know, that can be adopted in terms of uh, making making sure that we've, we've, we are secure, we are safe, and there is no need, no sense of paranoia. But moving on, respected listeners, 47913, we love to hear your SMSs, and in a moment or two later on, we'll, we'll, we'll read your WhatsApp messages through. But for now, we have uh, joining us online uh, none other than Jabu Mashlangu. Now, Jabu is the spokesperson of the South African National Civic Organization. Good evening and welcome. Good evening to you, Sam, and uh, also to your listeners. Um, a particular statement that echoes, uh, you know, quoted by yourself saying, we cannot imagine these weapons a day longer in the hands of mindless and heartless gangsters. Now, you know, clearly I see that you have a great passion for, uh, you know, civic organization and civic policies to protect us ordinary citizens. How has this incident at the Kailicha military base impacted on you and the work that you do? Well, we're obviously shocked that... Uh, <clears throat> Um, you have criminals who invade a military base. Naturally, it's something that is unheard of across the globe, that criminals would invade a national security point, an area where the highest level of security would be employed. And criminals just invaded for soldiers to open a safe, and they uh, have themselves to fire them. Mm. just unheard of. So it's shocking. And our view as Franco is that, um, like I said, we are shocked and we believe that um, firearms should never be the, in the hands of criminals because that um, obviously puts the security of communities yes. at a very, very bad situation. Um, but also <clears throat> that um, when we, we are hoping that police and the um, justice system will make sure that we rid our communities of illegal firearms to mm-hmm. ensure that such firearms have now been collected from the areas of the ultra safety that we have as a country. It's, it's an embarrassment, first of all, Yes. But also a very serious concern that uh, for as long as these firearms are in the hands of criminals, communities cannot be safe. Absolutely. Communities cannot be safe. Sure. And uh, we call on our police and the law enforcement agencies to get into the matter, make sure that we can retrieve these firearms and bring them to where they are belonging. Surely. As a civic organization, are there any particular measures, steps, perhaps maybe initiatives that you all are taking, uh, you know, to ensure that this process of bringing people to justice is quite speedy, as well as creating a sense of rest amongst our South African community members? We have a very strong um, Sanko presence in the Western Cape. Okay. And a very strong strong sound co-presence in Cape Town City. Um, I think um, we pride ourselves on the strength of uh, that organization. We have street committees. We've got almost in every street in Kaili, Chakukuletu, Nyanga, Philippi, and all those places. You go to George, you go up to 
the west where i mean the west i mean your your west um the west of uh, cape town we have very 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 strong structures and we therefore hope that um, our structures will keep their ears on the ground um work with the police as they always do expose those uh, criminals to the police so that um, these arms and all other arms that are stolen from the police are retrieved and taken back to where they belong. We hope that uh, if those arms, I mean, ammunition and those criminals are in those stations, they will soon be discovered and uh, our communities are on the outlook in their city committees to expose uh, those people. And we would like to impress upon them our mm-hmm. leadership in the Western Cape and Cape Town in particular to keep their eyes on the, and their ears on the ground so that we are able to help police to retrieve this. But I think the important matter that we would like to bring is our concern that the key points should be highly secured. Everyone should know yes. that these are areas that cannot, cannot be invaded by anybody. Absolutely. We are embarrassed and we hope that them the powers that be would ensure that such a thing does not happen again. Remember, it's not the first time that it's happened. Yes, absolutely. It's happening for the it's happening again. Again, surely. Jambu Mishlango, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much, and we hope you have a wonderful week further. You too, my brother. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Welcome back, respected listeners, in our second last segment for this evening. We are talking about safety in South Africa uh, and a certain degree of unrest driven by the recent incident at the Kailicha military base. Uh, We've had many guests featured earlier on and we are continuing in that same strain. But nonetheless, let us quickly head to our um, SMS and WhatsApp line. Um, a quick one coming through. I'm amazed at the alleged links between local businessmen, foreign and local gangsters, and nightclub bouncer security in the so-called underworld. Scary stuff happening there. Furthermore, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. If an if a armed force can be unarmed and get robbed at their base, what a sad, in the capital letters, sad state is our nation in. Soon you will hear these rifles having been used in other robberies and being used by different gangs on the Cape Flats. If the army can't protect and guard their own base, how will they protect and guard our nation? And to think we want the army to protect our communities against these gangsters coming from 1719 we have with us online Adele Kirsten who is the director for Gun Free South Africa good evening Adele welcome uh, good evening, Mohammed, and hello to all the listeners. Uh, thank you so much for being part of our show. Now, um, just listening to the last SMS, as an ordinary citizen, do you, uh, as well as you know, being part of gun-free South Africa, is there some of the concerns that you have as well? I, I think there are a number of concerns. Sure. Um, but the, the two, perhaps the two most important, is the inability of the military to secure its stock. Uh, and that's one of the kind of key functions of state agencies whose, whose job it is to use weapons, whether it's in the military or the police, is they need to keep their own weapons safe from theft and loss. Uh, and in the, 
in the in the world that we work, it's called stockpile management. So you need to know how many weapons you have. You need to know where they are, and they need to be secure. So that's a big concern: uh, is how people manage to get in, uh, why the weapons were easily available. Mm-hmm. But I think the second most important thing um, is the impact that has on uh, all of us ordinary citizens. In that rifles, um, you know, are depending on on the caliber, but they are. Uh, able to to inflict greater damage and are more lethal um, than handguns, uh, and so you know the, the question is what are those uh, rifles being used for, um, and and is this for depends on the nature of the rifle whether it's a semi-automatic. Sure. Uh, so we're assuming it could be an R1, um, and and usually those are the weapons that get used in things like bank robberies, ATMs, cash and transit heists, uh, because of the, they, they are more powerful. So those are the two things really to, to worry about. Okay. And, you know, um, uh, that's from a, a security measure perspective. However, uh, as part of your organization, Gun Free South Africa, uh, what, are, what are we looking, what are we aiming, you know, uh, to achieve? And how has this incident impacted on your ethos, your objectives? Well, I think it's a reminder about how many weapons are out there and how easy it is uh, to get access to weapons. Uh, and I guess there's, the, there's the, one of the myths for civilians in particular is that having a weapon uh, is a good way to defend yourself. Um, so, so the question is, how, how was it that uh, uh, people were able to get into uh, the base and, and remove these weapons? The question is, was, there, was it part of an inside job? Was there assistance? Um, so, so for Guns in South Africa, we recognize that agencies such as the police and the military have weapons, that their members are trained and armed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for, for police officers and for the military, there's an added responsibility to make sure those weapons are secure. Okay. Um, that, that would be one of the big things we would um, support and call for. But I guess in the long term, mm-hmm. uh, it would be um, it, it would be about reducing access to weapons. So if they are, if these were surplus weapons, they should have been a secure space. We need to be destroying them. So for Gunfree South Africa, our, one of our key aims is to reduce access to weapons, precisely to. Uh, prevent this kind of thing happening. Okay, and uh, uh, if I may, you are probably also very closely linked to law enforcement uh, policy makers that will ensure legislation uh, such that, you know, such can be implemented? Well, um, Mohammed, we have, um, there are three uh, international instruments, actually, which South Africa um, has uh, signed on to mm-hmm. uh, the one is the United Nations Program of Action to prevent, combat, and eradicate the illicit trade in small arms and light weapons. So this would be these weapons are now have entered into the illicit market. Okay. Um, this was adopted in 2001. Sure. Um, and and basically these they also at the regional level. There's the uh, 
SAVIC, the South African Development Community Protocol, Firearms Protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really are, are aimed at promoting effective uh, stockpile management by states. Okay. Um, and, and then there's the arms, trade, the arms Trade Treaty, which is a legally binding treaty with South Africa, uh, is also a signatory to. So, so there were a number of, and, and these have also then been domesticated, okay. which means they've been translated into regional agreements and then into uh, our national law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically uh, what those instruments require is that you have very secure uh, measures in place to prevent loss and theft, that you have good access control to the weapons, that they're things like stock inventories, training staff, right. enforcing secure transportation measures. So these are over and above okay. uh, this particular incident. Sure. Um, but they're very, very clear instructions about what countries have to do uh, to reduce the risk for this kind of theft to happen. Absolutely. Adele Kirsten, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you on a burning issue. Thank you so much, and we hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you, and uh, good night, Mohammed, and also to your listeners. Good night. Bye-bye. That was Adele Kirsten, a Director for Gun Free South Africa. Time to pay the bills before we get interested upon. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Burning issue it is with myself, Muhammad Sheikh, in our final few minutes of a very sensitive uh, churning issue in our community. Gun rifles being let out on the street due to an armed robbery. That's what we were talking about in the last hour or so. Now, respected listeners, uh, there is a WhatsApp message coming through 2808. More message of concern. Salams to all in the studio. It is quite scary to know how desperate some of our people in our community are and the type of people we have in our society yet our justice system is so lenient with punishment what a concern scary hey yes indeed scary about leniency with punishment Mm. you know that is definitely on the cards for debate but nonetheless we have online with us the chairperson of the mitchell's plain community policing forum uh abi Isaacs or A.B. Isaacs. A.B. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Good evening and assalamu alaikum to you and your listeners. Okay, thank you so much for joining us, being part of our show this evening. No problem. Uh, Mitchell's Plain, you know, a, a, a community that has wonderful initiatives in terms of fighting gangsterism as well as uh, other, you know, social vices in the area. And incidents such as this, you know, disarming a military base, does this cause a dent in these wonderful initiatives? Uh, surely it does cause a dent in um, partnership policing or crime prevention, if one can put it that way. Mm-hmm. However, as the Community Policing Forum, um, we have a concern around um, these firearms that's out in circulation. We are confident, we can publicly say we will be confident, and we are confident that all law enforcement agencies pulling together will recover these firearms that's out in circulation. But also, we are engaged, again, encouraging communities to come forward with information. We have the necessary information. Okay, and uh, in terms of the the policing forum, what are some of the links or associations that you have in terms of the community in order to create awareness or alertness with regards to people that own firearms, uh, you know, that are particularly unlicensed? 
Yeah, I think um, we continuously will engage communities, um, specifically asking them um, to uh, want to renew firearms, those that even have uh, illegal firearms to confiscate. Um, but again, um, as, as I've indicated, um, it's entirely up to the community. If you want to make an, 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 an inroad or, or temper a crime, um, an inroad in crime prevention, Communities need to build partnership with the police. Communities need to give the information to the relevant authorities so that we can begin to extract firearms, specifically in the Mitchell's Plain Police Station. Um, this afternoon discussed with um, our station commander um, as, part of an, an, uh, as part of an operation. Just to unpack, um, we can clearly indicate that quite a number of firearms has been um, extracted from the community. And uh, yes, continuous engagement from a community perspective, we need to continue and, and and, and give uh, the information to the authorities so that these firearms can be um, extracted and uh, demolished. Sure. Um, I'm just curious, what is the procedure upon confiscation of firearms? Does it go into a form of holding? Um, what exactly happens? Um, <clears throat> our understanding is that once firearms is confiscated, it goes to into a confined area. Um, obviously, some of them are being tested um, ballistic. Um, tested um, to see if it has been utilized in uh, criminal activity. However, I want to make a point in terms of um, the, the, the firearms that were taken out. Our understanding as the Community Policing Forum, um, a military base is a national key point. Sure. And obviously a national key point, you know, there's um, certain um, high-level standards in terms of security that needs to be provided at those um, national key points. Um, you know, and, and obviously uh, the agencies would be able to, to, to unpack um, why there was this compromise in, in terms of safety at a national key point. Okay. Um, in terms of the, the Mitchell's Plain Community Policing Forum in general, is there sort of intra-awareness in terms of training or, uh, you know, knowledge, skills development of recognizing military-grade weaponry and armory? I'm, I'm sure that um, from our side, what we've picked up is that um, communities in terms of our uh, social media platforms, communities can indicate and uh, they will definitely indicate this is not an ordinary firearm, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, this is more like a high caliber firearm. I'm, I'm sure that by now most of our communities are aware what is a normal um, firearm and what is a high level caliber firearm that's, that's, that's been used. So um, one can safely say even if you pick up at quite a number of other social media, uh, social media, your Facebooks, um, all these pages that is around, people, communities would are able to unpack and say these are not the normal firearms, but these are high caliber firearms that, that, that it just went off. Absolutely. Um, in, in the event of a shooting in particular areas. Okay. Um, How has the response rate been from uh, citizens within the Mitchell's Plain community? Uh, maybe not particularly with regards to the incident of the armed robbery, uh, you know, in terms of the Kailicha base, but in terms of firearms in general, um, uh, since, you know, starting initiatives and awareness, has there been a good response rate, turnaround rate from community members themselves? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that um, for for security and, 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 and practical reasons, um, one can safely say that um, um, from from continuously I engage with the station commander. That's my my responsibility or our responsibility as the CPF mm -hmm. uh, legislatively to engage in terms of um, what is the key priority um, focused areas. Is right. it firearms? Is it domestic violence? And you know, we can run through the crime patterns and continuously. Um, the station commander would engage and say that quite a number of firearms has been extracted. Um, 
and, 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 and even if you go on, 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 on you know, the, the official websites of the South African Police Services, mm-hmm. go on those official websites, um, on a day-to-day basis you can see that firearms are being taken off the streets, whether it's in Mitchell's Plain, whether it's in KZN, whether it's in the Purple, you know. You can daily see that firearms is broadly out in circulation and it gets um, extracted from, from um, extracted, extracted out of the communities with the agencies, from the agencies. Absolutely. Abby Isaacs, thank you so much for joining us uh, online on 91.3 FM and we wish you all the best in terms of your initiatives as part of the Mitchell's Plain CPF. Uh, all the best and have a, an awesome week ahead. Uh, thank you, and to come again for the opportunity. It's only a pleasure. A.B. Isaacs, uh, you know, the chairperson of the Mitchell's Plain CPF. On that note, respected listeners, the burning issue has been highlighted. Let's hope it quite simmers down with all the solutions and the discussions that we've had. From myself, Muhammad Sheikh, Auntie Abida Dixon, Muhammad, doing all the wonderful magic touches behind the technician's desk. Uh, I bid you all a wonderful week ahead as well. Fi amanillah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.